0: But, for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Boxscore. Let's get ready to rumble!
0: Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by co-host Weston Williams this week. All right, tonight, creative consultant Oliver Camacho goes inside the huddle, or rather inside the trenches, with baritone John Brancy and pianist Peter Dugan, who just began their tour of A Silent Night, an homage to this year's centenary of the beginning of World War One, But first, Opernwelt magazine has revealed its yearly list of the best opera house, best stage director, best male and female singers in the world. The results are definitely not what you're thinking. And around 9.40 p.m., two-minute drill, everything you need to know from the past week in opera land with our team's hot takes on those stories And of course, don't forget, you can call us on the air and get your voice heard during our two-minute drill segment, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. We want to hear your take on this week's stories, 847-866-9687. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. It's great to be back on the show. It's been a while. Well feels like a long time. It's been a couple of weeks. I was working on some other projects. We were rehearsing on Monday nights, but my boys had you in good hands, I'm sure. Oliver, Tobias, Matt, none of whom are here tonight.
2: (laughs) None of whom are here. All of whom abandoned us. Just uh, both of us just sitting clustered around uh, a small glowing light board, um, with uh, with uh, all the faders going, and all the blinking lights, and just a big empty room around us. You know,
0: Weston, this is what we call addition by subtraction. <laughs>
2: So true. This is going to be the best show we've ever done. And it's because certain people chickened out on us tonight. But that's okay. We've got a good show coming up for everyone here, I believe. Um, Now, I believe that the top of the show is when we talk about sports. And I got to tell you. Uh, the only sport I follow is college football, and even then, yeah. only what's happening to Bama at the moment. And they're right. just kind of steamrolling everyone, so there's nothing to talk about, George. You got anything? Well, not in
0: terms of Bama, no. Uh, I went to the Michigan-Northwestern game, actually, last okay. Saturday with some pals of mine. I was like six rows back from the southwest corner of the end zone, and uh, Michigan was down 17-zip halfway through the second, 20 unanswered points for a <sighs> Michigan victory. The final TD was like right in front of me. I was down on, on the um, railing, slapping hands of the players as they went off. It ah, pretty, yeah. Who, whose cool. hands did you slap? Um, Well, not, not Coach Harbaugh's. Whose who's hands
2: did you slap, and what did the hands feel like, George? I need details. Paint they a picture sw- for the listeners. They were
0: sweaty. They were, they were sweaty <laughs> hands, having been uh, creating plays on the gridiron. It was it was a lot of fun. The Cubs lost the uh, NL Central one-game playoff uh Today against uh, the Brewers, 3 to 1. So their backs are against the wall. Uh, yeah. They have to win tomorrow against either the Dodgers or the Rockies. That game hasn't been concluded yet, I don't think. And if they lose, those guys are playing golf until spring training.
2: Well, I mean, there are worse things to do.
0: So let's hope it works out for the Cubbies. Let's uh, talk some opera.
2: Subject
1: to interpretation and analysis, let's crunch the numbers.
0: Thank you, Norm. Time to crunch the numbers a little bit. Openvelt magazine is one of the world's leading publications about, yes, opera. Uh, there are some competitors, of course. Opernglas is another one of them, also mm-hmm. in German, and the Opera Now magazine not to be confused with the opera now podcast the granddaddy of them all thats something completely different but opera now you subscribed to opera now i did you i did.
2: subscribed for uh, for a hot second uh, and then i ran out of money and <laughs> well you know my generation george we don't read magazines anymore so it was kind of a wash yes uh, we it- listen to cool hip podcasts like all of our cool hip listeners oh yes yeah
0: It's, uh, Opera Now is, it is expensive. It's glossy, but it's, I mean, it's truly a worldwide magazine. Unlike, say, Opera News, which is just like a propaganda machine. (laughs)
2: It, It really is a quality magazine. I don't want to badmouth it too much. Having formerly worked in some journalism, I, I do want to say it's a quality publication. Uh, if you have the money, go for it. I always love supporting uh, organizations like that. Um, but uh, in the meantime, OpenVelt... Well, I uh, almost
0: subscribed to it, actually. OpenVelt?
2: Well, uh, the uh, OpenVelt is also a great publication. I would caution people who only speak English... Because it is a German magazine, and in order to talk about this this story, I had to reach into the deep recesses of my mind and pull out four years of high school German. How'd that go? It, I, I used Google Translate a lot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> But, but, uh, uh but, uh, Hair Davis, if you're listening, I was able to muddle through as you'll soon see here. Uh, although, really, no thanks to him, he was a very bad teacher.
0: The, uh, link to our, um, or the link to the Opernveld article that we're talking about is on our website, com. Essentially, every year, what the publication does is they get 50 critics together. And they pick that seasons, so this is for the 2018 year, the year that's 17,18. Yes, yeah. exactly the season that is just finished. they pick the best opera house, the best Director, stage director, best
2: up and coming singers, best chorus, yes, best costume designers. They, they they just go through all the lines of the the bests, um, and of course the uh, the big sort of crown jewel is the um, opera house of the year. Um, and uh, any guesses, George, as to who who that might have been?
0: Well, I it, it's the Frankfurt. <laughs> opera.
2: Well, you cheated by actually reading the article. I read the article. <laughs> I,
0: that I don't think. That is the opera house you would expect. It was not what I was
2: expecting either. Uh, I mean, in, in fairness, I have literally never seen a complete production of a Frankfurt opera, either live or in some sort of video recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen clips here and there, um, and uh, and I, I don't know how recent they were, it was probably in the past couple years, um, but I I would have expected something more along the line of the Bayernische Staatsoper or or even something. Well, I, I doubt the Wiener, Film, uh, the Wiener Staatsoper would have gotten, uh, but I, I was expecting a slightly more well known. House a more central, more with more gravitational pull. But
0: this this is the thing, and I think this is one of the reasons that that Frankfurt won is that it is so centrally located, right? So Frankfurt right. is is basically right in the middle of Germany. When I lived in Germany for a couple of years, I lived in Darmstadt, which is like thirty minutes south of Frankfurt. So mm-hmm. I have been to the opera house sure. a number of Drink. times. It's a it's a beautiful opera house, hmm. really easy to get to from anywhere else in the city. It's enormous, by the way. It's got three or four balconies all done in mm. this beautiful blue velvet Ooh. with this light sort of toffee-colored wood paneling.
2: Oh, I love this word pictures you're
0: painting, <laughs> I'm sure our
2: it's, listeners are too.
0: It's, it's a gorgeous opera house. It's a, it has a great restaurant as well. Mm. I've had some fantastic but, but when there. you But
2: when you were eating and looking at the beautiful scenery— How were the operas that you saw?
0: Well, I've I've seen a whole range of them. So I saw a production of Giulio Cesare there a couple years ago. When I was just back in Germany. Sure. Prior to that, I watched some rehearsals for um, Samuel Barber's Vanessa. Oh yeah, which is yeah. rarely done in this that country.
2: Is, yeah, it's rarely done in this country. I, I was kind of wondering how how common is it to see Vanessa outside of the United States? I, I
0: thought it was a surprising choice. Yeah, I, I, not I least that it's that, a, it's, that I, it's in English.
2: It's a, it's a good choice. I mean, it's it's a fantastic opera. I love Samuel Barber. Um, but if you're
0: in a foreign country and you want to program something in English, it's going to be Benjamin Britten.
2: Yeah, yeah. When and I think doing an American, I mean, you know, the Europeans have disrespected American opera for, <laughs> for, for centuries. Yes. Uh, so I think it is a, a really bold choice so, for them. So you
0: mean for the entire time that American opera has been in existence? Yeah. Well, that, okay. <laughs> that,
2: that's fair. Uh, but that, that was one of the things, uh, looking at the list, um, I, I was noticing that there is a distinct German lean to a lot of the winners. Uh, For example, in addition to the Frankfurt uh, uh, Opera, uh, the best performance of 1718 went to Bayreuth for their Meistersinger, and the best singer went to the Beckmesser for that production, which was uh, Johannes Martin. Um, uh, And, uh, I mean, it was just lots of Germans all the way down. Uh, A couple of, uh, I mean, there's one sort of exception, Anna El-Kashem, who was born in Russia, I believe. Uh, She got the best up and coming singer. However, that was due to her work with the Bayanische Staatsoper, which itself got uh, Best Orchestra, which I kind of question a little bit, but I haven't seen a production of the Bayanische Staatsoper for a while, so I can't say for sure. They might have, you know, anyway, uh, but it, it, it's it there's a definite Germanic lean to all of these, and I think that's kind of one of the advantages that Frankfurt had, because even though it doesn't have the gravitational pull of one of these sort of uh, uh, worldwide companies like uh, like any of the St- other Staatsopers um, that I mentioned, uh, it is definitely, it is part of that sort of heart of Germany, and I think that definitely helped it kind of claw its way to the top for this list.
0: I mean, when you look at operabass.com, where we get some of our stats, you look at their repertoire, the number of shows alone they're doing this year, let me see here, three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, <laughs> 24, 27, it's over 30. Oh, and man. let me see here, four, eight, 13 of those are new productions. So a third of its season.
2: That is that is pretty impressive, even for a European. Impressive. Company.
0: I, that's I, sick. <laughs> that All is right? the that is the correct just, word to use. It's just plain. How many sick. is the lyric doing? This eight. Season? Oh, do, they do eight. Yeah, uh, I think well. there's probably one of those is is a new production, and um, I, I mean some of the pieces. Again, this is the upcoming season that we're talking about. The right. award was for last season. I mean, yes, you have Verdi, Mozart, Puccini, but you've got Peter Iltvus. You've got... Oh, yeah, um, three sisters. Um, Neuwirth, who is a... She's a German-speaking composer. I forget her first name, but here we go. Uh, uh, a world premiere by a female composer. Great. Uh, they're doing... The Klang, The Distant Sound, by Ooh, Schrecker.
2: I love me some Schrecker.
0: Uh, King Roger by Zizmanowski. Oh,
2: also good. Oh. It's, uh, it's like they're... They program based on, like, my, like third-tier weird operas in my collection. Exactly, (laughs) and
0: they're putting this in their meat and potatoes. I love it. When you look at Frankfurt Opera and you look at the career of Bernd Loeber, who is the artistic director, Mm -hmm. the, the intendant is the German word, this is the sense that you get, is that his goal is to have his people do the best work possible and to be as proud of that as they possibly can. That is where he starts. And if he can please his family, for lack of a better word, his artistic family, that's satisfying enough to him. He's not worried about the audience. Mm. He's not worried about the politicians. Remember, this is an opera house that is funded by taxpayers. Right. But he doesn't feel beholden to them. And it seems to me that it's that type of, Direction. That thing of we're going to take care of our people first, and in doing so, we know we're going to produce great art, which is why this is the fourth time that Frankfurt has won this prize from Openvelt
2: Magazine. Yeah, and I think that sort of atmosphere manifests itself in what uh, the article called Kunstliche Chemie. Uh, artistic chemistry that makes the opera company special and I think it certainly sets it apart from um, what you see particularly in a lot of American companies uh, where where I feel like a lot of American companies are when they're picking their seasons when they're picking the directors even their singers a lot of those decisions are made based on kind of fear you know yeah. there's like oh sure. what if what if uh this is a big disaster we 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 have to program Bohem, or people will riot you know <laughs> uh and I, I which
0: is just such a lie
2: it really is and and even if even if people would riot if they did that i think there is something artistically that makes it necessary that you do it anyway you know what i mean Well, that would
0: be exciting I know. (laughs) Interesting. Do you know what I'm saying? Everybody everybody runs a right, not since Travinsky. Yeah have, yeah, have we have we had a riot?
2: Well, we we've had a few riots here and there. I mean, the Minimalists caused a few riots back in the day, and sort of the second Viennese school. Um, but I feel like we haven't had a good classical music riot in a while, George. And I feel like you and I need to just take it to the streets or uh, to the halls of lyric, and uh, just you know, just go go nuts on the on uh, the most wh- whatever their newest piece is. We'll just go nuts on that. I'll be great.
0: It's Opera Box Score on WNUR eighty nine point three FM. George Cedar. Request with co-host Weston Williams kicking off the show tonight, talking about the Opera House of the Year as awarded by Open Velt magazine. Eight four seven eight six six nine six eight seven number in the studio. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score with what's on your mind. So Weston let's make the conversation a little broader.
2: Okay. All right, hit me.
0: What should we be looking for in a good opera house, in your opinion? Oh, that
2: is a good, is a good question. So if I'm like uh, creating a list like the Oppenwelt, uh thing, I think I'd be looking at a couple of criteria. Uh, first of all, uh, I think the thing that I'm missing from a lot of opera companies is a clear artistic vision, not just from opera to opera, production to production, but from the house as a whole, uh, what kinds of opera do you as an opera house put on? What sorts of productions do you put on? Are they traditional? Are they uh, informed by historical practice? Are they, uh, you know, sort of reg- regi theater, you know, Euro trash? Are they, uh, what, what, what's your focus? Because I, like, I, I feel like there's a sense that opera is sort of, among non-opera people, uh, there's a sense that opera is a sort of monolithic uh, genre mm-hmm. where where an, a Mozart uh, a Mozart opera is interchangeable than a, to a, Mo, a Wagner opera is interchangeable with uh, a, a Busoni opera is interchangeable because it's all the same. It's it's not. I mean, there's different there's different genres within opera. There are. Over 400 years of history to choose from, and and of course new opera as well. And I think something that a lot of opera companies should be asking themselves is what aspect of that rich tradition do we want to bring forward with our company? Do we want to um, do we want to be that period instrument going back to the really early stuff? Do we want to be just sort of the typical middle of the road uh, war horses? Do we want to be the really edgy avant garde stuff? And, and I find w- what happens a lot is a lot of companies don't make that decision. Mm-hmm. Or if they do, it's not a very clear decision. Uh, and, uh, and by not making that decision, they tend to default to sort of a middle ground, which overemphasizes those warhorses and just kind of throws the bone to the interesting stuff every now and again.
0: It feels like when you look at Frankfurt Opera's website, when you look at their marketing materials, when you look at their season, it feels like everybody in that building is on the same page. It feels mm. like the, the brand, to use a horrid marketing term, it feels like the brand is tight. It feels like the aesthetic, artistic, magnifying glass is tight. Like we know what the questions are that we're going to examine this season, right? It feels like they're thinking in terms of the season here as opposed to the production.
2: Right. Yeah, it, it, it the season is well. This is the thing that we talk we've talked about before with you know the uh, the the failing subscription packages and things like this, and everyone's trying to say like, oh, how do you, how do we make subscriptions more attractive to people? And the answer is, what are you programming? What do you get out of a season? And I don't think I can't think of any companies in the U.S. that are not you know. A super small, edgy company. You know, I can't think of any any mainstream large companies that are programming based on well, what does this season offer? Um, whereas, if you look in, in Germany and uh, companies like Frankfurt, you you do see these arcs. Uh, I remember, um, I can't remember which company it was. It might have been Frankfurt actually. Hmm. Uh, they were doing, uh, for example, uh, the, the, they're doing the entire Ring cycle, but each uh, production. Was uh, was done by a completely di- different director with no connection to the uh, the other directors doing the rest of the operas in the cycle, hmm. and that created a complete retextualization of the entire Ring cycle as a whole, which is a fascinating idea, and it requires this sort of. Uh, meta-artistic view of what you're putting on that is just not being given in most mainstream opera companies in the United States, and I think even a lot of other companies in Europe and and Britain. And I think that is what you're offering. You're an artistic organization. Your job is not to sell tickets. It's to show people an artistic vision, challenge them artistically, and create some sort of societal or personal change from that. And you can't do that... On a, on a large level. You can do that on an individual level, uh, effectively, but you can't just pick and choose opera-opera. It needs to be a whole thing. It needs to be a meta, a larger question. And
0: it feels like this is why, you know, the micro-opera companies, at least in this country, are really the ones that are going to have the most success. It's because exactly. they are the the very flexible little ships on this very large sea that might be able to reflect the times in which we live in the art that they make. Baritone John Brancy and pianist Peter Dugan go inside the huddle with OBS creative consultant Oliver Camacho to talk about how they're getting new audiences to cross over to classical art song while paying homage to the composers of the First World War. That's only on Opera Box, score and WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, coming up next.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the earholes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera related service or event or propose to the bear-a-hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at OperaBoxScore at gmail.com for rates and availability.
1: Huddle up. Let's go inside the
0: huddle. Welcome back. Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Number in the studio, 847-866-WNUR. Give us a shout. It's a great night to call in tonight. Let us know what you're thinking, your opera thoughts. George Cedarquist, along with Weston Williams. That's me.
2: We're both here, and no one else.
0: I was just to go back really quickly to the Opernvelt winners, I was surprised that director Peter Konvichny was picked as the me
2: too.: Best uh, <laughs> director of: you. That was the sixth time for him, especially because
0: I mean, he had that thing about um. Yelling at that trumpet player?
2: Yeah, that was that was a huge mess. We we covered that when it happened. I believe it was back in April, where um, he yelled at a trumpet player during an orchestra in front of members of the children's choir for uh, I believe it was a production of Boris Gooden, Goodenoff in uh Gothenburg Opera, I believe. Yes, um, and uh, uh, and he got fired for it. And this was um, very soon after around the time that uh, uh, James Levine had just gotten fired and. Um, yeah. Uh, it was. It was just. I, I found it, it surprising to see right. his name pop up yeah. in this context. Yeah,
0: yeah. It didn't. It. It didn't feel right. I saw a production of his um, uh, Verdi's uh, *La Traviata* in Karlsruhe, I want to say. Drink. Uh, no, no, it, was, it wasn't. in <laughs> no, Karlsruhe. no drinking for Carlsrua. No, no. You can, you can, you can tease me about drinking. I can't remember where it was now. It wasn't in Karlsruhe. It was dreadful. It was really bad. No. Wow. Baritone John Brancy is the recent winner of the inaugural. International Music Competition of Montreal the 2018 Kurt Vile Foundation's Lodiya Competition and the second place prize of the 2017 Wigmore Hall International Song Competition Brancy and his collaborator pianist Peter Dugan have embarked on a national tour of a critically acclaimed program it's called A Silent Night their performances on this tour are targeted at veterans and active duty military Creative consultant Oliver Camacho ventured out to Ketinyi Park, 30 miles west of Chicago, where Brancy and Dugan performed Silent Night last weekend. They started the conversation talking about their strategy for performing for audiences unaccustomed to art song. First, let's listen to an excerpt of Gerald Finzi's channel firing from their recording of the program, A Silent Night, a World War I memorial in song.
3: Hey! Uh-huh.
4: Your question was, are we trying to educate our audience? Mm -hmm. And my answer is, we're trying to move our audience. Okay. Good answer. First and foremost. So if they are educated Mm -hmm. in some way, great. So much the better. But the most important thing is that they're moved. They could, if they wanted to be educated, strictly have an educational experience, they could go to a lecture. They could read a book. They could. There are lots of ways that they could be educated strictly in an intellectual way of speaking. Um, the whole point of what we're doing here is to relay historical information and messages in a way that's very much emotional and visceral. So that's, that's the number one goal. And, and, and that's something we have to remind ourselves, and I, I say this to young people, um, who are younger than? I mean,
5: you know, you guys are so old. I mean, we're, we
4: are. We're old and wise now. You no, know but I, I, you know, there's something I, I really believe in, which is that it's important to remember that that
5: we are creating an emotional journey for for our audience. It is, and I, you know, I go to a lot of shows, and I'm very into programming in general, like just looking at a program. And on paper, your program is amazing for what I think of as like the Art song going public, mm. but for people who don't go to recitals at all, you know, programming Carl Orff and even programming like Poulenc and Debussy to some extent, and Charles Ives, is asking a lot of people, you know. Mm. And I, I like sure what you said about you, know, you. You guys came out and gave little like speeches, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. before each set to give people an idea of what they're going to be listening to. And I love the story about the bird and the flag and the Debussy, and like listen for the quotations in the Charles Ives. But that still leaves very complicated harmonies and complicated piano textures, and yeah. so I don't know, like what have, has been some of the comments you've heard from some of the lay audience, so to speak. Mm. Um, w- one thing, you know, with this
4: program, we we you're right, it, it, we we take a risk in that we we program some some heavy stuff, um, but for. The the fact that these composers who wrote like the ones you mentioned, Poulenc and, and Orff, yeah. fought in World War One. Well, that music is hundred years old, but it's still new to some people. <laughs> no, for yeah, sure, yeah, for, yeah, sure. Yeah. for sure, yeah, brand new. The fact that they fought in World War One means that whether or not you are listening to it and saying, oh, "I've heard something that sounds like this before," mm-hmm. or "Yeah, this is very familiar to me," it doesn't doesn't you don't need that fact because you can say this is. These guys are honoring a, a veteran of World War One. So mm-hmm. I'm hearing music that was written by a
6: soldier. Mm-hmm.
4: So there's that
6: base level of appreciation that that is going to be there no yeah. matter what. And if I, the song is actually, in the case of Ivor Gurney," if it was written in a trench, um, then you know that further
5: describes what what it is. Uh, so. Do you guys have other work that you are imagining? I mean, I cannot wait to see what your next program is going to be. Well, actually, we,
6: we have a second program. It's called Armistice The Journey Home. Okay. And it is so much different.
4: Mm-hmm. It's a
6: companion
4: program to Asylum yeah. Night, the one that you saw.
5: Uh, oh, by the way, Asylum Night, it's not Christmas Carols, folks. So if you're looking for a good Christmas playlist, <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. you talk about the inspiration <laughs> behind the title? Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't. Oh, no, 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 but no, no. I mean, I think, Sorry. I think our audience sort of knows about the opera, at least like the, the joy points, in yeah. the well. Right.
4: Yeah. Well, th- yeah. so
5: yeah, I mean, basically it's
4: inspired by the Christmas truce of 1914 when, right. th- when soldiers came from both sides, came out of the trenches and celebrated Christmas together and exchanged gifts and specifically sang Songs together, mm-hmm. in one of which would have been Silent Night. Hmm. Um, so, the idea of a silent night, a, a, you know, and yet
5: the program has a lot of pieces that are like incredibly bombastic. <laughs> yes. So, that's sort of the irony there. Okay, keep your, put, put a pin in that because I do want to hear about uh, your Armistice program. Hmm. But I just want to bring up this, the fact that at the end of the show, hmm. you do this, what would seem like a popular music set. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my pet peeves actually about recitals in general. That, uh, it like, you have to, like, you know, eat your vegetables and, like, listen to this, like, art song. But then at the end, you get to have, like, dessert, you know, which is, like, tunes you can recognize, you know. And I normally, I'm like, ho-hum about that. But this was so good, what you guys did, because you did do that. You gave the audience something very easy to relate to. Mm-hmm. But you added, like, some arrangements of your own or of both of you. Uh, both the you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh the keep the home fire burning. Um yeah. this even a bello ballad. Um and you add like this, you know, piano part at the end that is so emotional and so dramatic and it feels like cinematic. And you earned it because you gave that language earlier in the program with, you know, like the Orf and with even the Debussy, you know. Mm-hmm. So people's ears were sort of acclimated to different harmonies. And I just want to know how you came to that, uh, like the idea of doing that, because it was brilliant, actually. Thank you. And it felt original. Well, coming
6: to the idea of, I mean, this isn't the first program that we've done. So w- this was kind of developed over several programs that, we, that we've that we done in the past. But we've also, um, we've done this previously. I mean, we, we've, what, when, when was the we last? We've done what previously? Um, created created at the end of the program at the end of the program give them a a sort of popular popular experience well, but not, I mean... not just a you know the the popular songs the way that they're written on the page by the composer or necessarily by the arranger of that time but actually creating a a new version that would that speaks to the entire piece mm-hmm. so it is a sort of movement
4: yeah, I mean, John's John is able to capture especially that kind of like old-timey popular song, mm-hmm. like something from the 20s. Because it's a white guy.
5: <laughs> no, of course. No, but but I couldn't get away with that stuff. So. <laughs>
4: No, he's, you know, his voice,
5: he's able to, a to bring Just, a certain... I didn't mean to take that away from you. So, yeah. yeah, how dare you.
4: He's able to bring <laughs> a certain quality to his voice that, that is really well suited to that. And we've done a lot of American songbook stuff together, and I play a lot of jazz. So, you know, in that sense, yes, it's something we've done before. The difference is that when when it came time to deciding on the popular songs for this program, we knew we needed to create an arrangement that somehow... Commented on the irony of the, of a patriotic song, which is all about, oh, the boys are coming home, in the midst of a war where, when in fact in 1914, everyone thought it was going to be that way. Everyone thought that it, this was going to be a quick deal, and the boys would all come home very quickly. And it one of the great lessons of World War One was the fact that it it was how long it. How it was prolonged uh, for 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 four very, very bloody years, and so we wanted to reflect that sense of irony in the arrangement and that 's why we brought in the bombs in the middle of this cheery yeah. song mm-hmm.
6: yeah. keep yeah. the home fires burning is is the name of the song do yeah. we mention that
5: yeah okay, and cool. and you sing it sort of the way like even uh, the character in Gosford Park, played by Jeremy Northam, <laughs> sings like you have like this very American, you know, yeah. thing, and like you get a little more like folksy on stage, and it's like totally charming, mm. and everybody's like happy and singing along, and then all of a sudden, these you, bombs, you, tag, you attach on this ending, it's like uh, <laughs> it's like gutting. So. Yeah,
6: and then and, but then there's the through line of the story with my buddy. You yeah. know, that that immediately. Changes the the energy changes the vibe. And we were thinking about it when we were, when we were coming up with it. He had this idea for for the uh, Peter had the idea yeah. for for it to be a sort of like Martin Scorsese scene change. Yeah, yeah, because you have this intense, intense, drawn out ending of these bombs in the distant past or distant, in the distance period.
4: But getting
5: closer, it feels like you're in a movie, like like yeah. Jurassic Park, and the dinosaurs are <laughs> yeah. coming in you know, us. So. Which,
4: by the way, the way I play them is with a flat, the flat palm of my hand. Okay. It's, a, it's starting from the lowest note on the piano, getting all of the notes chromatically, black and white keys, yeah. for almost an octave. Okay. And 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 with you know that's sort of the 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 effect. Happy. Tricks of the trade. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, and then to immediately. Cut from that to the nightclub where someone's singing "My Buddy," which is clearly has a little bit of the of the homoerotic vibe going on there of someone you know missing their their comrade who maybe
5: th- they were clo- really close. Yeah, you, you need know? comfort where you can get it. Come on, we've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't tour together without your wives.
3: You know? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, well.
6: That's a not, that's a whole other story, the
5: wives <laughs> the wives part. <laughs> okay, so and you have yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have the armistice program coming, but i'm I, aside from that, like what are other like dream projects that you guys could think about i I
6: don't want to uh shy away from continuing to e- examine historical moments and also developing programs that are that have a message as well. Well,
5: I, I, I applaud that because I think all of us are trying to figure out how to expand the audience. And this is true crossover. Like if you're going to do this program and invite people mm-hmm. who have never been to, you know, classical music at all, you know. You just used our term. Crossover? No. True crossover. True crossover. True crossover. True crossover. No, it's totally a true crossover. That's, I mean, that's what I was in the audience sitting there. <laughs> that's I thought this is this is actually crossover, you know. We don't want people to sing pop songs and get them to... Oh, they'll come to the Opera House if you play Jesus Christ Superstar in the Opera House. You know, it's like, no, actually, do something with high integrity that they can find a touch point, you know? Amen.
6: Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a term that we use regularly. Oh. True crossover. Nice. Um, and it's something that we are... Uh, we I, I mean... Something that we can explore more.
5: Well, that's know. why I asked the question, like, what are other projects that you can imagine? You don't want to maybe give it away here, but I'm totally fascinated by what you would play because you're Debussy, uh, in the middle of this. WC right? Rubell, Rubell, Rubell. Mm-hmm. To yeah. Mm-hmm. You're a vowel in the middle of the show. I love when this happens. By the way, when the singer gets a break and mm. you get to like hear the pianist, <laughs> like really hear them yes. and pay attention to them, yeah. and you played like one of the hardest pieces in the repertoire, and <laughs> it was it was brilliant. And I would I would have liked the whole thing, but you know, <laughs> um, do you play the um, Miroir Boulon by any way by, by any chance? I I don't okay. I, I I don't play
6: it, but okay, I love it. yeah, um, okay, cool. In, in the Armistice program, yeah. actually, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that you know that was we had this whole thought process going on uh last year this time last year when we were offered the the opportunity to perform at Juilliard mm-hmm. uh or sorry at Alice Tully Hall through, Present, presented, presented by, by Juilliard mm-hmm. so they do this uh Alice Tully Hall vocal arts recital uh, every year and they gave us this opportunity and, and we we were thinking about doing Silent Night because mm-hmm. it we the last time it'd been done was at Carnegie Hall and um, we wanted to potentially reintroduce audiences to it but then we decided and realized that it was time to do a a, a response program and oh. a and a program that was going to uh talk about some of the themes that Silent Night actually doesn't even get to really talk about and that is uh things for continuing on the on the soldier's journey and and also continuing on the the topics of um what happens to, uh, people and places and home, you know, during times of war and catastrophe. Um, and so this is ultimately what we're doing right now. This is, you know, this Memorial and song tour, this journey home tour, um, is really, you know, to share this program more than the other program, more than a silent night. And so in, in, in that program, we, we do. Uh, Peter actually opens the program with a, with a, what we like to call a prologue, you know, um, and that's uh, his arrangement of Holst's Jupiter. Huh. Uh, From and the then planets. Jupiter, the bringer of jollity, the bringer of jollity. So immediately start things off on a more positive
4: mm-hmm. footing, and the central tune of Jupiter ended up becoming "I Vow to the My Country," which was one of the most important and well known songs of remembrance in the UK after after World War One. So it immediately opens with this crazy solo transcription that I that I wrote. And then John comes out, we do this popular song when the boys come home and you think, Wow, it's great, the war's over, every everything's gonna be perfect. And then we go into um Von Williams's Songs of
6: Travel and Which mean- like the Shropshire, they were written before Von Williams obviously experienced the war but he was a medic Uh um, and he wrote many letters actually back to Holst about how the war had changed his view on life and his he actually writes about
4: how sad he is that Butterworth has died
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so
4: in that way there going was like, back to normal life yeah he says I, I sometimes dread going back to normal life because so, so many people are gone now yeah. and people who were younger than he was so Butterworth mm-hmm. was being
6: younger than Vaughn Williams was um, so, so then all these these texts from the songs of travel you know "Whither must I wander yeah. takes on an entirely different weight and feeling in the audience too especially when we introduce it with those that that fact that he was writing those letters from the front
5: so i i get in trouble a lot because i love to over explain stuff to the audience but yeah. just hearing you guys talk about this right now this is what i think the audience needs like don't expect them to know this stuff don't expect mm. them to have this history yeah yes some people are very intelligent don't even need program notes but they're in the minority let's give people perspective on on how yeah. to enjoy this yes and how to listen you know yeah yes. i mean it's and we do we, we, we do that
6: yeah yeah it's part lecture really yeah. but but it the music actually breathes a different life and experience into it for a lot of these people. That's why at the universities, I think it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how kids respond to this, you know, 18 to 22 years old. I mean, a lot of them may have never seen a vocal vocal recital before or a uh, chamber music, you know, of any type. Yeah. And um, to al- align it with... History with actual history is not only important it's it's necessary it's needed we need to tell these stories and music has a very distinct opportunity and or maybe it doesn't it doesn't have an opportunity but we have an opportunity with music to tell the stories of of these composers and also of our past of our collective past um, another huge theme in journey home is immigration and America's Willingness to open its doors to people during this time Um, This was a yeah, so so to that end
4: Irving Berlin um, Who whose family immigrated to the US and he ended up serving? During World War one at camp Upton on Long Island writing patriotic songs, which he meant because This was a country that had welcomed him and his family, uh, Rachmaninoff, who fled Russia during the Bolshevik revolution. And we do three songs by Rachmaninoff, including one that's, it's peaceful here. And that's all, again, all about this sort of hoping that people who once were wandering or feeling
6: homeless could find a place that was home. That was paradise where they can, they can recognize peace, you know, um, the the really intense themes come up in the the new commissions. Um, so Peter's brother, Leo, actually wrote a um, wrote a piece to the text of Alan Seeger, Pete Seeger's uncle, who was one of the early fighters in, in World War I, one of the early soldiers. He fought with the French Foreign Legion um and he uh wrote this poem I have a rendezvous with death and so this is my first time working or singing one of leo's pieces and i have to say that i i'm deeply impacted by his music and he is one of the great songwriters of our time <laughs> um
5: will it be on the next record
6: yeah so that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the whole thing it's like yeah. we we want to make ju- the journey home our next record um, and we, we have big plans for this for this record because the story the story inherent in in it is so important um, so this what I'm getting and trying to touch on here is that I have a rendezvous with death and, and his new reimagining of in Flanders fields where the foe which is mentioned in the poem is actually war itself this is a a concept and a, and, a, and a topic which is very touchy. And it's also, we're, we're waiting to see how the military community is going to respond. As John and I have been exploring uh, ways
4: that we can give back as we perform this tour, uh, we've met some incredible veterans, including a, a Vietnam veteran who, who shared with us this concept. Because what we wanted to know from him was, what's going on that we have mm. so many homeless veterans? Yeah, yeah. What what what's happening here? Um. And and could could we asked him to share with us some of his knowledge and experience, and he was the one who taught us and shared with us this concept of a transition, which is which can be devastating to some for some people mm-hmm. the transition of going from a civilian life to life as a soldier particularly if you're a soldier who's seen combat and then making the transition back to, to being a civilian again and how how that can lead to traumatic experiences it's something that John and I don't know about personally of course we we can't um, but we can we respect we it. We, 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 res- we respect what 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 we have heard from, from veterans like this man. And, and also, um, we're interested in providing any kind of healing that we can through music. And we're interested in bringing any message of peace that we can through music. Yeah. Yeah.
5: (sighs) Wow. Well, in the meantime, uh, people can, uh, listen to a silent night on Spotify. They can go to your website, Mm johnbrancy.com Uh, do you have a website, Peter, Peter Dugan? PeterDuganPiano.com. PeterDuganPiano.com.
6: There's also a website for the tour. It's memorialinsong.com.
5: Memorialinsong.com. It's going uh, up until November 14th. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Um and that's your birthday. That's my birthday. Aww. My 30th birthday. Oh, you're a
3: big <laughs>
5: Well, I'm really grateful that you guys took the time out of your crazy schedule while you're here to do this. Um thank you so much. And um Yeah, you guys are the best. Thank Thank you for having us.
0: Again, Baritone John Brancy singing their the Ivor Novello song Keep the Home Fires Burning with Peter Dugan on piano. Interviewed by Creative Consultant Oliver Camacho out in Naperville last week, listening to their art song. Performance of a silent night. More info and tour dates on that, just go to memorialinsong.com. Problems in New York, Barcelona, and Zurich all in the same week? That's next on America's Talk radio show about opera on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Alright, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on Opera News in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed.
1: This just in, The Two-Minute Drill.
0: Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. The Ryan Opera Center at Lyric Opera of Chicago has chosen three singers to join the center for the 2019-2020 season. Soprano Matilda Edge, mezzo-soprano Kathleen Felty, and bass Anthony Reed. Sixth year in a row, final auditions attended by an invited audience of some 1,200 subscribers and donors. They also participated in the Audience Favorite Award. That $500 cash prize went to tenor Anthony Ciarmataro. Last Wednesday at the Metropolitan Opera, soprano Anna Netrebko sang the title role in Verdi's Aida. She's still fairly new to this part which she introduced at the Salzburg Festival last year. Anthony Tomasini in the New York Times wrote, quote, There was something fresh and exploratory about her performance, yet it also felt fully formed, dramatically deep, and she sang it magnificently. Spanish soprano Montserrat Caballé is being treated in one of the hospitals in Barcelona, according to the Spanish press outlet AFA. The 85-year-old singer was hospitalized last week for a gallbladder problem. Barry Kosky, intendant of Berlin's Komische Opera, took his opening night curtain call in Zurich wearing a t-shirt with the image of a young Joseph Stalin. Kosky was directing Franz Schrecker's Die Gezeichneten. He refused to comment. Evan Rogister has been signed up as principal conductor at Washington National Opera to open up the 21 22 season. He's 38, principally principal conductor at the Gothenburg Opera in Sweden know has renewed Francesca Zimbello's contract as artistic director until 2021. And over the weekend, a performance by Kelly O'Hara performing They Don't Let You in the Opera, written by Dan Lipton and David Rossmer, was posted to Facebook. That video now has over 534,000 views as of to today. It's a country ballad about a Georgian native who was born to sing opera on this day, the birthday of German stage director Peter Stein. He's 81. And in 1733, it was the premiere of Jean-Philippe Ramos, Hippolyte et Aressille in Paris. That's the two-minute drill.
1: You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man Camacho.
0: for hanging out with us this evening on Opera Box Score 847-866-WNUR the number in studio George Cedarquist here with Weston Williams Hey,
2: that's me I'm here and I must say George you missed one very important on this day uh, one very important birthday Yes uh, uh, a, a certain great tenor uh, friend of the show uh, Matt Cummings
0: Oh. <laughs> I could see the fear in your eyes You were well, trying to figure out who it was What I, I also blew Oliver had a whole thing written on the rundown for the show And <laughs> somehow oh. I completely deleted that So clearly I'm a little bit rusty Yeah, as well, It's okay, so.
2: it's okay Happy birthday to Matt Cummings uh, It's a pretty decent excuse for not being here Uh, I'm sure you are indulging in all sorts of birthday debauchery. Uh, Have a great time, and we'll see you hopefully next week. did he
0: break his wrist as well? He did.
2: I mean, he got some of the debauchery in early, and it just uh, took a a toll. I
0: guess so. Um, Hey, what's on your mind about that? uh...
2: I have many things on my mind from this week. There is a couple of messes here. First of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the director um, uh, Kakosky, Barry Kosky, uh wearing the Young Stalin T-shirt. Uh, it was an it's an interesting fashion choice. Uh, it, in fairness, it kind of looks like sort of just the you know stereotypical edgy director fashion choice. It's a little bit of a meme if you've seen the photo. If you, George, do you know what a meme is?
0: <laughs> go away <laughs>
2: if you're young and hip on the internet you've you've probably seen it around it's uh you know it's that picture of, of weirdly handsome young stalin uh but i have to say it's a very bad choice on his part to wear that shirt in without any sort of context, especially for a an opera by Schrecker Franz Schrecker, who was famously uh, his works kind of fell into obscurity for most of the 20th century because uh, he was Jewish uh, in Germany and his uh, works were heavily heavily suppressed after his death um and in order and to have Stalin who himself was anti-semitic and had his own uh, Jewish internment camps and, and genocide going on in, in Russia at the time, I think, is extremely, extremely bad form.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking. I, yeah. That. I mean, everything's a statement. You know, when you get up on that stage, everything's going to be a statement. Here, here was the other problem of the week, which was uh, Nitrebko singing at the Met, singing Aida. So there was a lot of discussion on Instagram, Twitter about her dark. Skin makeup? I, it's it, it, it's blackface. I mean, you, it's it's it, not
2: blackface. It, well, it's black hole torso. It, uh, it, it,
0: it's bizarre. <laughs> if you if you watch the promo video on the Met, at least from um, oh, Mia, the one of the big arias that Aida mm. has, it's impossible to see her on stage because there's virtually no light on the whole stage and she's got this bizarre like dark skin and then there was this old twitter or excuse me instagram back Uh, and this i
2: think is is the the main thing because you know this is an ancient production i think this is this this production is uh, the same one they've been playing for a, a trillion years now, it feels like it, it needs to be retired, and the um, the coloring of the skin of Aida was a part of that back in the eighties, and I think maybe even a little bit in the seventies. I'm not sure. How, it, 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 the production is at least dates from the eighties. That that I know for sure. It's
0: like thirty years old. Now.
2: Um. Uh. Uh. And you know. I mean, it was still, it was cringy back then, and it's even worse now. But, yeah. I, but you know, I, I understand that, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of, oh, it was always sung by white Italians, you know. And so the color in their skin is just, and it's like, well, you, you probably shouldn't do it anyway. But I feel like the real issue here was uh, someone on Instagram uh, called her on it uh, and mentioned it, and her response just, you know, foot. All the way in the mouth. Are uh, you
0: going to read this in a yeah, Russian I, I, accent? Okay, take it I away. can give it a
2: go. Here we go. Here we go. Um,
0: so, you got to read it verbatim, though, dog. Okay,
2: I will read it verbatim. This is from Anna Trepko's, uh Instagram page, replying to the person who called her on it. Uh, I am play Ethiopian princess in, in antique, beautiful production of Aida and wearing exotic markup. Do you have any problem with that? My skin color is likely naturally dark, so shut up and stick with your piano and not bother great theater with stupid questions. (laughs) Which is not great. And I realized that that there's... That
0: was phenomenal.
2: (laughs) Okay, my my performance and delivery, delivery was flawless, although I do acknowledge a little bit of the... Irony in putting on a bad Russian accent uh, when we're talking about this whole issue of uh, <laughs> changing <laughs> cultures on stage. Uh, so, Stalin
0: T-shirts? Is that what you're going to wear now? Uh,
2: you know, I'm just going to go all for it. But yeah, it, the, her response and the, the remark about the sticking with the piano. The person who called her on it was a piano player based in yeah. New York, um, and uh, it's a, a real. Her her tone it was is just aggressive and unnecessarily defensive. Because I mean, if if I was in this production and I and I had to put on that sort of makeup, I I would you know probably say like, hey man. It was the costume department. It wasn't me. I understand. Or just ignored.
0: Th- I just, I'm just doing I'm told to do. Yeah, you
2: know, oh, yeah. I mean, ideally, I would refuse to wear it. But, you know, I mean, I understand that, you know, there are contracts and things. <sighs> uh, but, but to respond like this, uh, <laughs> shut up and stick with your piano. Don't
0: get into a thing. No. And
2: don't bother great theater with no. stupid no. questions yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. This is not the first time Anna Trepko has kind of put her foot in her mouth like this. And I don't think it's going to be the last. <laughs>
0: Let's wrap it up.
2: Good call, bad call, on Opera Box Score.
0: Great to be back with you, Weston. Yeah,
2: I think it was a good, good little two-person show.
0: You got any good calls or bad calls this week?
2: Well, obviously uh, the Kelly O'Hara video, I think, is the big good call. Uh, it's uh, well, I'm sure we'll put a post on our. It's uh, on our website. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, it's a lot of fun uh, to watch, and it really. As a Southerner who grew up and got into opera myself, I really relate to this story of the country singer from Georgia who just wanted to sing at the Opry.
0: Uh, Oliver actually had a shout-out specifically for Aida. He says, remember that the Met and HD season begins this Saturday with Aida. Oliver's rooting for the Amneris, sung by Anita Rachvelishvili. And you had something to say about... uh,
2: yeah, uh, tomorrow night, I believe, uh, Tuesday, is the last night for Handel's Circe with uh, Haymarket Opera Company. And uh, if I can get out of work, I will be there and let you know how it goes. Yeah.
0: Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The new general manager at WNUR is John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even if you like country music, too. We're back on Monday, October 8 at 9 p.m. Central. More interviews, opera news, and hot takes. Join us. This is WNURFM fm Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment. Again, never